All right, good morning, Grace. How we doing? Good? Okay, great, great. All right, so Zach's out, so you guys are stuck with me. All right, so I'm gonna be preaching this morning and just again, wanna say thank you guys for coming and again, gathering with us. Uh, I wanna throw this out real quick. There will not be any Fuse tonight, so Fuse Student Ministries, young adult, taking the evening off uh, with being Thanksgiving this last week. Wanna make sure you spend time, again, with your, with your family. Uh, I know a lot, again, uh, a lot of traveling, different things going on, so wanna make sure that we give you guys plenty of time with your family. One thing I wanna do before we get started this morning is that we wanna recognize what you guys did the past month or two with our Operation Christmas Child. And uh, we had a goal this year of bringing together uh, 500 boxes that we would be you know, packed with gifts, and a lot of you guys did that, and it would be packed with the news of Jesus, and we would send those out into the entire world to places in need. And uh, we, we had that goal of 500, and I just wanna say this, you guys did an awesome job. We actually, as a, as a church, Grace Community Church, and just the Tiffin campus, so just you guys, we brought together 532 boxes. And so I think that's worth giving yourself a round of applause. All right. Yeah, awesome, awesome job. And uh, again, the gifts, yes, they're great. And the kids love them. But I, I think that we understand this. The most important thing that goes in those boxes is the hope of Jesus, right? And the hope that these kids will give their life to Jesus. I mean, there have been countless and thousands and thousands of kids that have come to know Jesus by a box that was sent to them. So just wanna say again, thank you so much. Last year, uh, Cheryl, I think we had 430 last year. So that was, what was it? 435, so almost 100 more. So awesome job again. And we're gonna keep going up on that number next year, okay? All right, so what we're gonna do this morning though, we're gonna jump back into our series we are the church, all right? And uh, we've been in the series just for a couple weeks, and we're gonna talk about something that we are, it's actually, it's called an ordinance, which is just a, man, a command that Jesus gave us to do. And he gave us two ordinances that we practice here at Grace, or two commands as a church that we should be about. And uh, one of those is baptism, right? So once someone comes to know Jesus as their savior, it is that they are baptized. And the other one is what we're gonna be talking about this morning being communion. Or maybe you've heard it said like this, the Lord's Supper. Now, one thing we have to get is this. There are churches, even in our own town, that they teach uh, really a, a different teaching on this, a, a false doctrine that communion is for salvation. That is, if you take communion, then your relationship with God is good to go. You just have to take it, and then you're forgiven your sins, and you have a relationship with Jesus. Another teaching that some of these churches, they, they they, they claim is that when we take communion, that it turns the literal body and the literal flesh of Jesus as we take that communion. But we're reminded, and we're just gonna reference this real quick before we get into our passage. But in Luke twenty two nineteen, Jesus, he actually says that when he's, he's with the, uh, the disciples and they're, they're having the Lord's Supper, he says to do what? He says to do this, right? To take this communion, take this Lord's Supper in remembrance of me looking back at all that Christ had done, right? It's not gonna change my body or my flesh, right? It's not so we have a relationship with God, we're not forgiven our sins by taking communion. It is only, again, for a remembrance that we look back to what Jesus went through and how his body was broken and how his, his blood was spilt for our sin. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians 11, which is kind of the common, it's the common chapter that we go to every time we take communion. We're gonna go through it, and in fact, the end of this message, we're gonna Go back to 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to uh, read some verses there that talk about it. 
But Paul, he's the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church that is located in Corinth, which is in southern Greece. And he's writing this letter to this church that he had started. And so he's, it's around AD 55, he's on his third missionary journey, and he's writing this letter. And one thing, he's, you know, he's, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and there's, just, there's a couple things in Corinth that they, they were sort of known for, okay? One of those was their athletic games, being the Olympian, all right? And then the other was a, a, a big issue that really was a struggle for the church, and that was their immorality on all kinds of different levels. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, we're not going to read it, but Paul, he lists some specific sins that the culture that was in Corinth, they struggle with. At this city, they just, man, they struggle with, again, immorality on every level, right? Worshiping different gods and all kinds of crazy things. And sadly, we're reminded that some of these believers, even though they had come out of that lifestyle, it was like they were still clinging or still holding onto them as they're being drugged into the church. It was like it had, had somehow, these sins had crept into the church. They had let cultural immorality in. And what he's doing in 1 Corinthians 11, which is where we're going to be, is he's essentially writing to believers that were, they were not living how they should have been living for God. Like their life was off track in their relationship with God and with others. And so all Paul is trying to do by reference to this communion and, and teaching what true communion is, all that he's trying to get them to see and trying to get us to see is that when we're off, we need to get back on track. And that's what we have to do when it comes to communion. How many of you guys had awesome Thanksgiving this past week? I mean... Yeah, a lot of you guys, okay, had a great meal. Okay, now, how many of you guys had a couple great Thanksgiving meals? All right, I talked to some of you guys. Okay, anybody have three? Any, okay, quite a few more in last service. There's like one person last service, all right? And so after a week of eating one, two, three, maybe four Thanksgiving meals, right, maybe you come to like Saturday night, and I mean, or maybe it was this morning as you're getting up, right? You do something you should never do after Thanksgiving, and you get on the scale, all right? Bad idea after Thanksgiving, isn't it? Terrible idea, all right? Or, or maybe you get that scale and it's like, it's a little bit higher than what it's supposed to be, right? I mean, we get that, right? Or maybe this morning as you're getting ready, you stood in front of the mirror and you didn't like what you saw, right? You're like, okay, something's gotta change. I gotta get back to the gym, right? Or, or maybe you're just like, I need to eat some more salads. I just feel like crap. Right? I, gotta, I gotta do something about this. I just wanna pause and say this real quick, okay? I feel like I did a good job. Thanksgiving, we had lunch at grandma's. And after that, you can ask my family, I brought a huge salad for everybody, all right? We ate that and then we had pie afterwards. So we were good to go, all right? But after a week like this, you know, just not feeling great, whatever, right? These different reminders, the scale, the mirror, how we feel. All these are different reminders that we need to get back on track. And that's all that Paul, I mean, he's trying to do. He's trying to say, hey, church, you guys are off in how you're doing communion, really, and how you're living your life. And you've got to get back on track in your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And a great way that we can do that is by reflecting, remembering back on Christ and all that he went through for me and for you. See, in 1 Corinthians 11, which is where we're going to be this morning, in verse number one, he starts this chapter off and he says something that kind of sounds a little arrogant, I think. He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He's saying, hey, church, you guys need to imitate me. Again, sounds prideful, sounds arrogant, sounds off, right, from how Paul is. But what we have to understand is this, is Paul, man, he is their, again, their founding pastor, their founding leader, uh, and he calls for his imitators to, again, imitate, imitate him and how he imitates Christ. So while he's saying, yes, look at me, he's saying, no, don't really look at me. Yes, imitate me, but do that as I am imitating Christ. Okay, now, 
Get this though, again, the founding pastor, everything that they knew about the Bible pretty much was from Paul. I mean, how they knew how to come to Jesus, how they knew how to worship, do communion, as we'll see in a little bit. All these different things, they come, again, from Paul and his teaching. I mean, they did not have a Walmart, right? That they could run down to and get the latest version of the Bible. I mean, they didn't have that. They didn't, you know, they didn't have Ohio Grace on Spotify music, right? They had none of these things. So Paul, he shares with them, hey, imitate me. The natural thing for them to do would be to look to Paul as an example. And Paul says, as I imitate God, or as, as you look at me, imitate Christ. See, this imitating Christ, it should be the focus and the purpose of not just the church at Corinth, but every single believer's life. Like, until Christ's return, this is what our life should be about. But sadly, we'll let so many other things really be what we imitate in life, our passions and our, our hobbies and, and even our families, right? We, we imitate those. We place those things before God. Paul, and he just calls us out and says, man, this is gonna be a struggle. Like this is gonna be a struggle until Jesus returns. And so I just wanna throw this out as we get ready to talk about communion. He's saying this, even in that, in our life, we need to imitate Jesus. So call, he, calls, he calls out, again, their behaviors. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen to 18. And he reminds us that, man, imitating Christ, and, and when we do that in communion, it is a great example of the good news of the gospel. And Zach talked about this good news a little bit last week, and, and all that simply means is this, that, man, Jesus, he came and he died for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. So Paul, he does that by focusing back on communion. Let's look at what verse 17 and 18 says about their behavior. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Notice this, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, notice this, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. See, the church at Corinth, it's not like some of the other churches that Paul had started or some of the other churches that Paul was pastoring or had, had, had started and was helped ministering to. One of those churches would be Thessalonica, Right, the book of First and Second Thessalonians was actually written to the church that was at Thessalonica. And it's interesting, listen to what's said about the church of Thessalonica. Their work, it, was, it produced faith, right? And their labor, it was motivated by love. I mean, I'm not gonna say they're perfect, but they were an example church. Corinth seems to be really in total opposite side. Right, all throughout this, this letter of 1 Corinthians, they're struggling with their cultural immorality that they were, again, they're just trying to hold on and trying to grab and, and pull into the church and even just being indifferent towards different sins. Paul, he says they're gathering for this time of communion. It wasn't for the better for the church, but it's actually for the worse. The very thing that is communion, it's supposed to bring unity inside of the church, does what? Actually brings division. It's the occasion for which division is caused, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's kind of like Thanksgiving this last week, right? I mean, you got cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents, everyone gathered from all over Ohio or maybe different parts of America, right? You gathered, and man, you want to enjoy each other's you know, time together, and you haven't seen them maybe in a year, and so you're just gonna talk about life, and, and everything's going great, and the pumpkin pie is just getting finished up, and the coffee's almost done, and then the newly married in Uncle Mike sits across the table from Grandpa, who's on a totally different political side of spectrum, or the political sides, right? Especially right now, right? I mean, the politics is crazy right now, right? And so a fight ensues and division, it happens. Or, or maybe, maybe you're that, you know, maybe you're that one sibling that's still single in your family. 
right? And, and everyone, grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles keep asking, hey, when are you going to get married? When's that, hey, when's that going to happen? You know, are you going to get married anytime soon? You've been dating the guy for a while. Is it going to happen? Right? And you get irritated and stressed out, right? And, and you can put pretty much anything in there, right? But we're gathered for a time of unity as a family, which ultimately leads to division between you and your family, right? Paul, I mean, he calls this, this was happening right, on a greater level, in the church at Corinth. They were supposed to be gathering for communion, but they allowed divisions to happen. And notice what he says in verse 19 to 22. It goes in a little bit more depth. He says, indeed it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper, so one person, notice this, is hungry while another gets drunk. Uh, don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. See, Paul, he recognizes that, yes, there will be differences of those that attend church. You're going to have at Corinth and at, a, at a churches now, you're going to have people that are believers, people that are, not, are, that are not believers. But he says this, that we should be known. He says there are going to be different factions, different groups. As believers, the people that are in the church that do not know Jesus, they should be able to see Jesus in us and how we live our life. But the issue was mainly between groups of Christians. In fact, three groups of Christians, being the rich, the poor, and the slaves. See, Paul, he challenges them at the communion, or the Lord's Supper, as we call it, that they had participated in, it wasn't really the Lord's Supper because they were doing it in really stark contrast to what it was for, its main purpose. The main purpose of communion as we gather together is to what? It's to unify under the banner of Jesus that the gospel's for everybody. It's to reflect back on what Jesus went through so we could have a relationship with him. It's saying that, you know, there's no... There's no certain political parties it's for. There's no certain you know, standard of way we have to live. Like it's just in the fact of Jesus being our savior and we want to look back at what Christ went through. He points out that some, if you notice, he said this, that some went away like full, right? Went away drunk and some left hungry. It's a, it's a travesty of love. I mean, it would have been a, man, a, a great opportunity for the wealthier members of the church that, had, that were really the ones that were bringing the Lord's Supper. It would have been a great opportunity for them to wait, right, and to, to have this time of the Lord's Supper with people that were in need. But it was degraded, really, into, again, the total opposite of that. It's supposed to be a time of unity that the church, they gather together on one common thing and one common theme being that Jesus Christ died for their sins. The poor, they had to work all day, right? The, the rich would get there before everyone and they would set up the supper and then they would eat till they were stuffed and then they would leave and right about the time they would leave, the work or the, the poor would come right after getting off of work. By that time, there were only scraps left and leaving even little less food for those that were slaves that were part of the church. And so really by the time that the poor and the slaves arrived, there was practically nothing, and there were cliques in the church. There was a contrast between the poor hardly getting anything and then the drunk that were getting, or I'm sorry, the rich that were getting drunk. In action, they were having communion, but in their heart, they were not. They were just going through the motions. And we can be guilty of doing the same thing, gathering together for this time of communion we're gonna have at the end of, of our message this morning. We can be guilty of, again, doing the same thing, having this communion and allowing divisions in our hearts, maybe of someone that's of a different political party that we know in here, 
or maybe someone that's of a different race that's in here, or someone that's of a different social standing, right? or someone that's just in a different status in life, just going through the motions, having no regard for them. This is in total opposite of what, the communion, or what communion and the Lord's Supper is about. The basis for communion, we have to get this, is the gospel. The gospel, it tells us that all are sinners that need a Savior to forgive us. And we have to trust in that Savior being Jesus and only Jesus, right? There's no good works we can do to have a relationship with God. This is the beautiful thing about the church, about the body of Christ. As we, we come together, we're from different walks and different backgrounds in life. Like we come from maybe different church backgrounds. Or maybe we come uh, from uh, uh, no church background at all. See, the gospel, it declares this. When we take communion, it declares this, that we are all equally sinful, that we are all equally sinful, yet equally forgiven and loved by God. Whether, again, we grew up in church or out of church. Whether we were saved at our highest point in life or our lowest point in life, the communion that we're gonna take is an example of showing God's grace. And that grace is in being something that we don't deserve because we're sinners. We are not deserving this grace, no matter what. But Jesus came for all regardless. It does not matter our background, does not matter where we came from, does not matter what we've done. See, the Lord's Supper displays grace looking back at the past. Being that, again, we have a Savior that willfully, sacrificially went to the cross, died in our place for messed up, broken people like us. Messed up, broken people like the church at Corinth. That's what Paul is trying to get them to see. So verse 23 to 26, he goes on, he talks a little bit more about the Lord's Supper, and he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is, check this out, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, uh, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink all right. Yeah, for often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, Paul, being again the founding leader of this church, he gets them back on track right, by pointing back to the elements of communion. He's, he's getting them back on track by pointing back to the purpose of what communion was for. See, the elements being the bread and the cup there and the physical reminders of the, gra- the grace that Jesus displayed on the cross for us over 2,000 years ago, that we still, again, we still take this communion today, and it's a reminder that with everything going on in life, right, with quarantine and COVID and family tension and issues, right, or work issues and just different things going on in life, it's a reminder that we just stop, put everything aside, and we focus on Jesus. We stop and, and we reflect back on the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus for me and for you. Question I want to ask you guys this morning is, when was the last time that you thought about the broken body of Jesus personally for you? When was the last time you thought about that blood that was shed personally for you? And can, can you go back to that time? I can say this ashamedly that I can, honestly, the last time that I actually sat down, put my phone aside, right, put everything, you know, life aside and sat down and just focused on the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus for my personal sins was our last communion. 
But here's the deal. That's why we take communion. It's for the purpose that we remember and we reflect back on what Jesus went through. So just, let's just pause. Let's just think about it just for a moment. What did, what did Jesus endure for you? His body, it was beaten with a whip. And, and this wasn't just a regular whip. Right? He was beaten with a whip that had, had rocks and had metal shards and glass that was tied into the end. And every time that he was struck with the whip, it would wrap around his body, tearing flesh, and then going even deeper and tearing the muscle fibers, and going even deeper and tearing into the organs. In excruciating pain, as he, he bled for our sins at that whipping post, it didn't end there. It could have ended there, but it didn't. He went to the cross, he, he walked up that hill right, on Golgotha, and he died before Jewish people, right? As, as essentially as, as a joke to them. And think about it. I mean, they, they made, it, made a joke of him, right? Putting above him, hey, this is the king of the Jews. Right? They put on him a crown of thorns. Again, that was all a mockery just to make fun of Jesus where he would hang on the cross and die for our sins, for mine and for yours. His closest disciples, people that he did life with the past three, three and a half years, were not even there. Well, the Bible tells us that his blood was required for our sin debt. All because why? What it says in verse 24, it says it was all for you. It was all for you. So how can we not stop and remember and reflect everything that Jesus went through? Recently, about a year and a half ago, Marissa's grandma, she passed away. And uh, we, we were in Kansas a few weeks ago, just on vacation. And one of those days, we decided we were gonna go to the cemetery and we were gonna go to the headstone and uh, visit, uh, uh, visit again that headstone where grandma's body laid. And I remember as we got to the cemetery, we as a family gathered around and probably just for about 10 or 15 minutes, it wasn't anything long, we just stopped and we remembered grandma. Right, we reflected back on different memories we had, some good and some bad, right? And we talked about grandma. I mean, we, we set everything aside, right? We left the phones in the car and we just remembered grandma. That's all that Paul is, is, is trying to get us to do. He's, he's saying, hey, guys, stop, focus, remember. This. Set everything aside and focus on what Jesus went through for you. Focus on what he went through so you can have a new life and have that in him. And in thanksgiving to God, and we should remember that Jesus' body, it was broken for us. And then he says to take the cup and to remember the new covenant, being that salvation, it was by grace and through faith, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. And his blood was shed for the remission of our sin debt. Verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That verse starts the word for, and this conjunction indicates that the memorial character of the meal is that the proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. That we're gonna to continue to do that in communion. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And that, that again, salvation is free for all. And as the church, as they, uh, they uh, participate in the Lord's Supper, they were not doing so because it was just a tradition. It was just something that they gathered and that they did. The rich would come, do their stuff, the poor and the slaves, Right? But as we read earlier, man, they were not really having true communion. They were not really having, again, true unity. They were letting division happen between different social statuses and rich and poor and, you know, good and bad or however you want to look at that. And as a result, they were not taking the Lord's Supper. Go back to verse number one and, and what, what did Paul challenge them with? What does Paul challenge each of us with? 
right? First Corinthians 11, 1, he says to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And they were not doing that in the Lord's Supper. They were neglecting, again, that main purpose. And Paul, he talks about this in verse 27 to 30 in a little bit more detail. He says this, so then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, which can be anything, it can be any, any sin that we're allowing in our hearts and we're keeping that between us and God. He's saying if we take that unworthy manner, we will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person, notice this, examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why, notice this, many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. See, Paul he tells them, man, why we should examine ourselves. We gotta see what's off. Again, we're trying to get back on track. So examine our hearts. Spend time before we take communion, as we'll give you guys an opportunity this morning. Spend time and just stop. Just think about it, right? Where in my heart am I off in my relationship with God? What is it in my heart that needs to get right before I have this communion? So Paul says to examine our heart, to stop. He says that, he says, man, some had faced bodily harm, like to their physical body. I mean, he says that they, they were taking communion in an unworthy matter, and he says that some were sick and ill, and he says that some had fallen asleep, which means this in the New Testament means that they had actually died. I mean, that's how serious of a time this is. I mean, we need to examine our hearts before we take communion as Christians to pause, set everything aside, and examine and see, God, where are we at in our relationship with you? and get that right. He also says that it causes bodily harm to the spiritual body, the body of Christ, the church, by hurting maybe our reputation with those in the church that are believers, or maybe those that are gathered here this morning that are not believers. He says that we need to make sure that we again get that right with God before we have communion. And he says in verse 31 and 32, if we, properly, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. See, they were not judging themselves. The only judging that they were doing was to other people that were in the church that were not like them. I mean, they were just judging people that were of a different class. And so God, he's taken the issue into his own hands of, of how he disciplines through illness and death. See, this is so key in our relationship to God that we should spend time before we take communion examining and not judging others that are in the room, not judging others of you know, a different political status or social status again or whatever. Right? He says to stop and just to focus on, on where you're wrong at, to stop and examine your own heart, and then to turn that over to God and to ask him to forgive you of that before you have communion. Again, and we can put in any sin there, if it's pride, if it's gossip, if it's lust, right? We can put anything in there. And then Paul, he closes out chapter 11 by saying this. He calls like one more reminder. He says this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should uh, eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. See, this section, Paul, as again, he's closing out chapter 11. He's just talked about communion. He said, guys, you're off on how you're taking it. You're not doing it in the right way. He's saying just, you know, exam examine your hearts, right? He says, therefore, church, in regard to everything that we've looked at, we gotta shift focus back to the cross and back to what Jesus went through, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed. 
He says, guys, don't forget this. We are the church. As our series says, we are one body. We are one body from different walks of life, but we, have, we should have one common message that is communicated in communion. And that's this, that we are all equally sinful, yet equally forgiven and loved by God. If we don't get that, this, if we don't get anything else this morning, we have to get this, that we are all equally sinful, yet equally forgiven and loved by God. And communion serves as a reminder that goes, it goes deeper than the intellect. It goes deeper than a tradition. It goes deeper than just doing something out of habit. It goes to the heart of every Christian. And it reminds us that the gospel is for us and it's really for all. And so, man, if you fit in the category of, the, of all, which would be every single person in here, the gospel is for you. So if you're here, man, you've never maybe made that decision. You've never heard the, the news that, this, this good news, this gospel news that Jesus, he came to die for your sin and he came to die in your place so you can have a personal relationship with him. And I challenge you to, to make that decision this morning. You can do that by just realizing again that you're a sinner, admitting, man, God, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. Like you're perfect, you're holy, and I've messed up. And so I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross and and how he died for my sins, man, I, I believe that, that 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 covers my sins, that forgives me, and I ask you to come into my heart and to save me. See, that's what the gospel is. That's what it does. Again, it is, it is a message for all. We have to remember this. Jesus, he wants to have a relationship with you. Otherwise, he never would have went to the cross and died in our place. As we get ready in a little bit, in a few minutes to take communion, I'm gonna go ahead and have the band. They're gonna come up and they're gonna get ready. But I just wanna give you guys just something to think about. If you go back to Acts chapter two, which is, it's the founding, the start of the New Testament church. Right? And there's 3,000 people. I mean, that at one time, boom, they give their life to Jesus. These 3,000 people, they, man, they gather together in Acts two and they worship. And it's interesting, one of the first things that they do is they fellowship, right? And they gather for the Lord's Supper. They gather in thankfulness, looking back at what Jesus went through for them, looking back at the appreciation they have for what Jesus did for them. I mean, it should be the same for us. I mean, the, the gospel message, Jesus, how he came and he died in our place and we don't deserve that and he shows us grace. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we cannot forget. And a natural thing that we should be doing is looking back at what Jesus did for us and looking back at how he came in our place. See, in Acts 2, when the church began, man, they did not want to forget that. They weren't sparked by some church leader to take communion. It was just something that they did in Acts chapter 2 in thankfulness for what Jesus endured. We never, man, we would never want to forget the main thing about Christianity. It sets it apart. I love this from all other religion, and that's this, that salvation is free and paid for by Jesus, who willfully died in our place, who went through the torment of the cross and the whipping post so we could have a relationship with him. At this time, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna take communion. But one thing I just, I wanna give is that, and communion is for those that are, only, that are only believers. So if you're not a believer, I'm just gonna ask you to hold on to that cup if you are a believer, again, we've looked at this morning in 1 Corinthians 11, 
This is something that we should be doing until Jesus' return. If you did not get a cup, by the way, we have our ushers ready. So if you need a cup, um, the elements, just go ahead and raise your hand and they'll make their way around. We have a few of them. Again, if you're a believer, this is something that we should be about. We should continue to participate in. We should, again, remember, reflect back on the words of Paul and what he said today. One of the things that Paul talked about was that as we get ready to take these elements, that we need to stop and do what? We need to make our relationship right with God. Again, the church at Corinth, they had this issue of division, okay? And again, there can be any sin that you put in that place. But we need to make sure that we get that right before we reflect back and we remember back on the cross and what Jesus went through for our sin. So what I want to do is this. I want to give you guys about 20 or 30 seconds just to stop. And everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes, and there in your seat, God, you don't need to pray out loud, okay? God, you know, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And just spend some time, again, examining your heart, seeing if there's anything off in our relationship with God. We'll give you guys 20 or 30 seconds, and then we'll continue with communion. Let's pray. Amen. And go ahead and we can take the elements out. We'll take the bread first. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus as we've, we've read and we've talked about this morning. In verse 23 and 24 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Let's pray and thank uh, God for the broken body of Jesus. God, we thank you for this time this morning that we can stop. And again, in the craziness of life, and God, everything that's going on in our world, God, we can pause right now and we can remember, God, how your body was broken for our sin. And God, we just want to say thanks be to you. Thank you, God, for going to that cross and enduring the pain and being made a mockery by the Jewish people. God, so we could have a relationship with you. We thank you for your broken body and what it went through. Amen. And second, we have... The second element is the cup. Again, the cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25, it says this, the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, again, we pause and we say, thank you for your shed blood. God, thank you for this time of communion. God, a time that we can just pause and look back at your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, for the ending of our sin debt. God, we thank you for all that you went through for us on that cross. We thank you, God, for taking those whips for us, God. 
We thank you, God, for going and for being in our place. We can be forgiven and have a personal relationship with you. God, help us again to, even today, as we go throughout our day and we get ready for the work week, help us, God, to remember this time and to remember that in everything we do, we need to proclaim that the gospel is free for all. That's what the communion is about, looking back to what Christ went through so everyone that puts their faith in him can be forgiven. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Let's go ahead and we're going to stand and we're going to close out in a song of worship.